When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Introducing the new Starbucks Pistachio Cream Cold Brew. Silky Pistachio Cream Cold Foam tops our bold, smooth, cold brew for a delicious twist on a favorite winter flavor. Make today a good day. Order ahead on the Starbucks app. Progressive is America's number one motorcycle insurer, so we understand motorcycles. No, really, we have a bike translator. Uh, okay, this is awkward, but this bike says he'd appreciate it if you removed his skull pattern saddlebags. <laughs> he feels self-conscious about them around all the other bikes, and he says you're not fooling anyone. You mostly ride with your golfing buddies. <laughs> Listen, I'm just the messenger here. Oh, no, I don't want to say that. I think you made yourself clear. Quote with Progressive and see if you could save with America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. This is the Music Buzz Podcast. The Music Buzz Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dane Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Sign, a world-renowned graphic artist for the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome to the Music Buzz podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andy Wilson, along with Dane Clark. Hey, Dane. Hey, Andy. How are you today? Good. And Hugh Syme. How's it going, Hugh? It's going well. Thank you, Andrew. Good. Today, we're joined by Steve Hackett. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee Steve Hackett is renowned as an immensely talented and innovative rock musician. He was lead guitarist with Genesis as part of their classic lineup, with Peter Gabriel, Phil Collins, Tony Banks, and Mike Rutherford um, from 1971 to 1977. Steve's extraordinary versatility in both his electric guitar playing and his composing involves influences from many genres, including jazz, world music, blues, and more. He's equally adept in his classical albums that include renditions and pieces of the likes of Bach and others. His own acoustic guitar compositions have gained the admiration of many, and his ambitious guitar orchestra albums such as a midsummer night's dream recorded with the royal philharmonic have done the same 
After Genesis, Steve embarked on his solo career, which he's continued to release tons of music, and we're going to delve into some of that. His solo career went from strength to strength, and by the mid-80s, not only saw the hit single Cell 151, but also Steve joined up with Steve Howe from Yes Fame to form the supergroup GTR. After GTR, Steve went on to work with others, including Paul Carrick, Bonnie Tyler, Chris Squire, John Wetton of Asia, Brian May, and more. He has influenced so many guitar players, including some of the biggest names like Eddie Van Halen, Alex Lifeson, and others. His solo albums and projects have always possessed a high level of sophistication. Along with an ever-present, powerful dynamic, Steve's live electric gigs take his fans on an extraordinary journey drawn from a rich musical heritage. Perennial Genesis favorites sit alongside his solo classics, while more recent solo materials also included, demonstrating that Steve is an artist still at the very top of his game who's always looking and moving forward. Welcome, Steve Hackett. Hi there. Hey, Steve. Man, it's a great honor and a pleasure to talk about your career today. Well, pleasure is all mine to talk to you. Well, you know, the quality of your output is, of course, amazing, and so the quantity as well. Um, I went to your webpage yesterday. I counted, I think, 25 solo albums. You know, the nine Genesis albums over a dozen other projects as well. So, man, incredible. I, I just spent the morning listening to Night Siren. And Did you? Okay. It is such a great cross-section of everything you do from gorgeous acoustic, exposed acoustic to, to flamenco and, and amazing orchestration. I want to ask you about that um, just in terms of arrangement and, and composition. You are, you're stunning, absolutely stunning. And I, I was a huge fan of yours back in the 70s when I was listening to Spectral Mornings and I couldn't listen to Virgin and the Gypsy enough. It was just such a, a masterpiece at the time. I'm glad you liked that. I, I had a great time doing that album, but... Um all the, all the things that I've been uh, lucky enough to do over the years, um, they've really been their own re reward. Really, I think that's the thing about music is is it's been um, it's been a lifelong friend from when I was two years old trying to play harmonica like my dad. You know, um, it's it's been a great journey, and 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 um, every day I, I'm I'm lucky enough to. To come up with new ideas, it might be a new riff, it might be just a plan of of something, but despite my best efforts to halt it, music just keeps rattling through in my brain in the middle of the night, first thing in the morning, in my dreams, it just won't stop, and that's uh, that's fine by me. I've got to remember not to not to rehearse in my brain at three in the morning. That's the uh, <laughs> that's the only thing. That's a hard thing to stop, man. You know, it's a hard it? thing to stop, isn't it? You got sort of paradiddle fever going on in the middle. Oh yeah, and songwriting stuff too. So it's it, yeah. yeah. If that just means you're engulfed in in music, and you know, that's your life. Um, I guess that's the thing about the muse. Whenever, whenever it he she um, alights, um, you have you to get grab it, it. some way. You've got to write it down, or you've got to record it into something, and uh, yeah. you've got to honor it somehow. Certainly, certainly. From listening to your music over the years, though, I have to, I have to guess that your muse come from somewhere like the Lake District or Lindisfarne, or. <laughs> well, um, I'm 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 English, but you know the first first tune I, I ever got to play as a kid on the harmonica, um, Yellow Rose of Texas was one of them. So it wasn't all wasn't all homegrown, you see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, that's not. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, how about that? You know, and yeah. um, I guess that would be, would that be a Nashville shuffle? 
the rhythm of that. It yeah. would be, sure. Oh, yep. okay. yeah. Yellow Rose of Texas. Scotland the, the Brave. So they're all place names, the, the, these things. Um, I think God Save the Queen. Um, but they're all kind of national anthems in their own their own way, these these things. The romance. Those are the first things that you learned. Yeah. That's the awesome. First you learned. Yeah. Well, the one thing that really surprised me is, is diving into your history that, uh, you know, you st- I think I read that you were playing guitar at 12 and you'd already developed an interest in classical and opera, and, but you never had any formal training. Now, I no. find that that's astonishing to me with uh, all the odd meter stuff that you've done over the years and your your chops and your chord voicings. I mean, can you tell us who your influences as, as a guitarist were when you started and how you progressed up to playing in your first band? Well, I think um, the first electric guitar I was aware of in England, um, I don't know if you're aware of the, of, of, of the band called The Shadows. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. The Shadows were Cliff Richards' backing band. Sure. Uh, Cliff was the nearest thing to Elvis that we really had at that time. He had the hair, the looks, all of that, uh, great yeah. voice. and um, But his backing band, uh, were no slouches either, and they were having hits under their own name and with him, so they dominated the British charts. Um, so that was the, the early influence. Uh, Hank Marvin was the guitarist. Yeah. And um, I, I met him a few times over the years, ever since, and he's um, immensely nice, very modest guy. I, I, I always admire modesty in, in the accomplished, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yes. But I guess music is very important to all, all four of us here. I, I'm, I'm guessing. No question. Indeed. Yeah. Speaking of harp, when I was listening to your album this morning, "Anything But Love," when the harp came in, I thought, "Don't tell me this guy's good at that too." <laughs> really? Well, that was my original thing. Harmonica was my original thing, and, and I um, um, became interested in blues harp. Um, I love. Love the sound of, of um, blues harp. I suspect Mark felt them for a minute, and then I, I, I double checked, and sure enough, it's you. But you also have a background as a, a flautist, don't you? Uh, no, that's my brother. We we both bought a flute together, but he was the one who took off with it. Um, I see. Okay. It was my friend Ian McDonald who ah. basically invented King Crimson and wrote sure famous in the court the Crimson King tune. Yeah. He um, uh, was the first live flute player we were we were watching and john five years younger than me i was 19 at the, at the time watching the first incarnation of king crimson in 1969 before they made that first extraordinary stunning yeah yeah classic record yeah and um john fell in love with the flute and decided right then that, that he wanted to become that and and um he did and he, he became um he he took the classical route modernized yeah. so he was trained whereas i'm all instinct um that amazes me because when i was listening to the project today um the night siren it, i was asking myself all through the project and dane was just touching on this your time signatures your your voicings um the arrangements just the the build yeah. the, the arrangements from from beginning to end are always stunning um, how much of that orchestral imaginings are you and are, are you working with an arranger or is that just largely you in your own studio? Okay. Um, uh, well, well, to take you back a bit, um, 
the first album I, I bought when, when I was 12 years old uh, was Ravel's Valero. I, I loved that. And um, I used to imagine myself conducting it um, as a kid, as, as a 12-year-old. And I, I used to do a lot of gymnastics at school. And so I used to run around the room trying to do somersaults and God knows what and handsprings and stuff, listening to this stuff. So it was all one, all the, the energy. Um, of that I, I never had any formal training because um, music to me was it was a symbol of freedom. So um, uh, we seem to be so harshly judged at school for the things that we couldn't accomplish. I thought that I've got to keep music separate from that. And um, uh, so the real work used to start after school with me. I, I, I would go home and, and practice, and, and I'm I'm still practicing like like crazy now. But uh, I who've who've been through the ringer of having had the lessons as i suspect you have yourself dane yes sir yeah I, I i suspect that most drummers i have worked with um usually say my my drum teacher was so-and-so my influence was this guy i mean i, I was watching something I, I was watching some some buddy rich playing at ronnie scott's the other day and um i got to see him twice fabulous did you? I never got to see him live. I should have done. I was very slow off the mark because Phil Collins, when I was working with him, he said his big influence was 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 Buddy Rich, and the same thing with Bill Bruford. So you got two two of these British drummers. Yeah, two of the greatest English drummers. Yeah, and 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 very different in style from from each other. Certainly, but but I think um, I was lucky enough to work with both of them. And um, but you have to admire Buddy Rich's energy if. If nothing else, and, and um, I, I couldn't possibly tell you what what he does because the lovely thing, from my point of view, is is knowing nothing. So I can sit back and say, "Well, that's great," but I suspect Dane, you're probably thinking, "What are you doing there?" I, I've I've got to uh, I've got to figure that out. Yes, well, some of it certainly, like some of his sticking patterns and things, but but Buddy also was possessed of a total genius of. You know, he could play a one-handed role with either hand and with his bass drum, too. And it's like, I got to see that. I saw him hold one stick up in the air and play a role with the other one, the fastest thing I've ever heard. And I'm just going, there's no way you can practice that. That's just sheer mother matter. It's almost, it was just, it's magic. It's, right. it's impossible. Incredible. I was just watching his videos the other day and I got sucked into that black hole. I must have watched about 15 videos of him on The Tonight Show. And yeah, the drum battles with uh, Ed Shaughnessy, Ed Shaughnessy. Yeah. I think he had one with Louis Belson, didn't he as well? Yeah, yep. no, but apart, just apart from that, to your point about the single handed role of song. Anyways, your music, man, has has such breadth to it. I, I couldn't believe the different styles. You you go into the Middle East on one song, then you're in in the, you know, the Northumbria on another song. It is just yeah. breathtaking how you take take you on a journey you know musically speaking i'm impressed with your your sense of arrangement i can't I can't uh, express that enough um i think mu music can be a little bit like you know you're an artist yourself and my, my father was an artist unfortunately i didn't inherit his skill at drawing and and painting i mean he had that ever since he was very young ever since he was a kid you could see impressive things that, that he'd done he'd, he'd drawn a picture of montgomery um you know, when he was 14 years old, he was copying this out of the paper and you could see what, what my dad was going to become from that. But um, uh, 
in a way, my dad did quite a lot of things, a lot of different styles, and landscapes were one of his specialities. And I think that music can work in, in, in very much the same way where you're doing musical landscapes and you think of, think of a region, and you mentioned Northumbria, the, 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 um, the Ulian pipes that were used on something. Um, and, of course, it's common to all those Celtic regions um and um so i i love that and, and and in a way if you want something that's really authentically wafting down from the highlands in scotland sit back and let let the pipes do it rock guitar is never going to do that not, yeah. <laughs> right. although i think big country came pretty close with the use of ebo yeah with guitar and um that could be uh, uh I, I forget the song you had. Duduk was it skeleton gal? Yeah, a skeleton. Yes. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it's I mean, what you choose to use in your arrangements is that's what I'm really inquiring about. Is just how how much of that come? Are you holed up in your studio working with keyboards until you develop your own? Um, uh, yeah, well, I I, I work with um, uh, usually write with 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 two other people. Um, uh, in other words. I write as much as I can on my own, and then um, I welcome the input of two people: my wife Joe, and also uh, Roger King, who is a, is the keyboard player with uh, the band I I have. Um, and um, he happens to be a great engineer, great keyboard player, and um, he's become uh, an extraordinary um, uh, orchestrator. So um, we sit down t- together. He has all the theory to my instinct. Mm-hmm. I usually credit him with the orchestral arrangements. Um, yeah. I will usually come up with these days um, a top line and chords. Mm-hmm. And we we map it out with, with keyboards, with samples, and then uh, if we have time and opportunity, um, we overlay that with the real thing or subtract it and have, yeah. have the real yeah. thing. So um, um, it's. You know, back in the old days, lovely. Back in the days of Genesis, we we had we had the time and opportunity as young guys to sit in a rehearsal room together and mm-hmm. write things together. I think I think that when you have a solo situation and you don't really even know how the song is going to go, the marvelous thing about computers, though we all get frustrated with them blowing up yes. and, uh, <laughs> and, and all of that. And I realize it's, there's a certain coldness to it, but it's nice to be able to show someone a fully, a fully formed sketch and say, yeah, yeah sure. this, this is the song, the way I see it. And then um, there can be the, 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 the input of, of other people over, over backgrounds that, that work within themselves rather than, you know what it's like in a rehearsal room. There's a guy working out a solo, and everyone's got to keep powering around the same riff. And, <laughs> That's right. And that can and, be t- um, that can be tiring. That can be tiring. Of course, the other alternative is to have the score sheet, and, that, and yeah. we, we use that as well. Um, um, yeah, if you're working with orchestral stuff and, and, and real orchestral players. Um, you can't really have the free for all. You have to have the agreement, otherwise known as the score sheet. True. Yeah. It's got to be written out. We go back to the old school ways of doing it, the old fashioned. And they can still get it wrong, <laughs> depending on the, on the, the orchestra. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I think orchestras, um, uh, I mean, I, I, 
I love working with them. Uh, um, it's it's an ambitious thing, sticking together a, a, an orchestra and a, and, a, and a rock band. Um, mm -hmm. I've done it several times now, and um, as, as I'm sure you're aware, Dane, the, the, the way that a, an orchestra feels mm. timing is rather different. To it's way behind the, the beat. I, I've played many or orchestra sessions, and it's, it's way like behind the beat. big time. Unless they're all on in-ears, or, or you've got a conductor who's pushing them ahead of what they perceive to be the beat. Right. Right. And even if there's a click track, even if there's a metronome, they're yeah. still like, if, if it's here, they're going, uh, uh, <laughs> it's like, I it's, know it's, it's yeah. a funny thing. Isn't it? I gather in different regions. Um, I remember hearing something about a, a conductor who was saying, you know, a lot of or orchestras can be very much behind the beat of the baton. Um, and, uh, but in, in LA, this guy was saying, um, sometimes they're even ahead of the beat. So, um, um, I guess those those orchestras that are used to doing film work, um, you know, maybe they jump right in there. And that's, I think. That's probably it. Yeah, because they have to work with a click track on that stuff. Yeah. So yes. they're used to that. Yeah. 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 Well, I've got to ask you, um, you're, uh, the last record you did was At the Edge of Light. Was that yeah. 2019? That's Man, right. I got I to tell you, I, I encourage everybody that's listening here to check this record out. Um, you hooked me on those first two songs. Um, well, thank you. Beasts in Our Time, the second cut, is a beautiful, haunting ballad. Your vocal performance is great. The video is really cool. I mean, yeah, I encourage all our listeners to check that out. And But, dude, the first cut, uh, Fallen Walls and Pedestals. Yeah. It blew my mind. Oh, okay. good. Uh, dude, you've always had fantastic chops and been able to play these odd meters somehow, miraculously, without yeah. any training. but. I think you sound better than ever, man. It's so clean. It reminds me of a little bit of like Alan Holdsworth back in the Tony Williams days. Really? It's that beautiful sounding to me that it's violinish, the tone. Yeah. Man, it's astounding. It's just beautiful. I applaud you for, for keep, you keep, seems like you keep progressing throughout your career. It's, it's fantastic. Well, you know, we, we try and get better, don't we? Um, and, and time is always against us because, um, you know, as long as the, the magic fingers are, are, are playing, this is what we all hope for. And um, I agree with Dane, though. Time has been good to your voice. You have your voice, even on the album that preceded that. I guess the, the, the album that preceded that was The Night Siren. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're singing on Behind the Smoke. And uh, there was another one that just came through beautifully. Um, in Another Life, the vocals were lovely. Okay, thank you. No, absolutely, man. I'm... I'm I'm, I've, I've been a fan since the 70s, and I, I confess to having kind of fallen off. Um, I, you hadn't fallen off the, the map I had. Um, but reconnecting with you just now, I'm, you know, I know how important Spectral Mornings was to, to my art studio at the time. It was on all the time. Now, this album that, that, that Dane just mentioned and your uh, Night Siren, they're going to be my backdrop for months to come for sure. Yeah, beautiful stuff, man. Well, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I, I was lucky to join this, you know, very young young band back in the early 70s, Genesis, and um, uh, lucky to work with, with Phil Collins, um, who instilled in me something that I didn't possess at that time, which was a sense of, of rhythm. And uh, mm -hmm. I'd like to think my timing got better, but just 
the appreciation of what might be a good feel on on something and so um he said something that was a uh, a very um correct in a way he said we're bound to influence each other and um i did and 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 you know when i work with the rhythm now i i think think to myself would phil have uh, would phil have approved of this and um there are so many ways of dividing up a rhythm isn't it you know that the you think sure of the great, the great drummers uh, whether you're going at it at speed and we've been lucky in britain to have you know quite a few um amazing players who some of them came out of jazz ginger baker and um um you know so so many more who were rather extraordinary john bonham for taking the beat and just oh without question going to half time with, with everything and and I, f- I find i get very very drawn to the bonhamesque approach of half time basically deep groove extraordinary stuff you know um mitch mitch mitchell i think also with with jimmy hendrix um, yeah fantastic player had some great chops and um very elvin jones yeah yeah sorry he was very elvin jones very elvin jones yeah very interesting i'm thinking of the the track hey joe where he's basically playing fast throughout the whole thing yeah and I, I i doubt would you whether you'd get a modern drummer today doing that basically soloing through the whole thing i don't think it i don't think you could i mean yeah i don't i think that's kind of impossible to do now I yes. mean, just the way the way our ears are trained to hear music it's like you'd say oh gosh what's that guy doing yes, but if exactly. you took that if you took that out of that song that classic yeah. song that we all know if yes. you went boom crack hey joe that wouldn't work it not at all it doesn't, it doesn't work does it it doesn't swing because the song is leaden in the first place and so it's the, the drums that make it work it's that that's the rescue in 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 a way so and keith moon did the same kind of thing with the yes move, I, I agree totally um i love moon's playing there's a film called that'll be the day with david essex i've seen that ringo is in it yeah but the star of the show is just uh keith moon does something where i think his drums are being picked up maybe by the mic that's on the camera or something and it's all kind of distorted and ambient and I, and I just love the sound it's and he's just going at it hammer and tongs and you think that's it the man explodes but um sometimes i, I prefer that to clarity I, I have to say i i love the idea that the walls are shaking and it's buckling under the weight of this guy who's <laughs> there's something to be said for that right come yeah, on yeah and, and I, I, I i in a way i i think it's it's a terrible shame that so many drummers get all that fire kicked out of them by by producers saying just keep it simple man just keep it simple uh, that's true sure you've been there. and in the end it's like all these things you've learned and you think well they might just well well have a drum machine do this right did you ever see elvin i have to ask you dan did you no, ever see I, I, I haven't it, another another genius that i've 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 missed out on yeah, i never got to see elvin I sat six feet from him at a small jazz club in Toronto 
I think he even sweated on me a couple of times. Oh, I'm sure he, he sweated on everybody in the first 10 rows. He, <laughs> he's a sweaty man, but holy. I tell you who, 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 I, who I did see, and I suspect that most of this generation um, will not have seen him, but I saw the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. Um, and as a fellow harmonica player, uh, I saw them in 1966 when I was a mere 16 and um, playing to a handful of people in a very small club. Nice. And those guys were just mind-bogglingly uh, wonderful. I think it was Sam, Sam Lay on drums. Yeah, man. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He swings like crazy, right? You know. Yes, he does. Classic drummer. And Paul Butterfield on harmonica was just phenomenal. And Mike Bloomfield, who did lots of stuff with Dylan. Sure. And was, was Elvin, and Elvin Bishop. Elvin Bishop. Yeah, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Elvin Bishop. And you know what? All three of those guys as soloists were just stunning that night. I, I think <laughs> maybe the fact that they were playing to the size of an audience where you would now nowadays just call it a rehearsal. So everyone's playing without fear and... Um, flattening me we, we've alluded to um you guys have a few times just the breadth of your catalog if you will and different variations and styles and that's the thing that sticks out to me and gosh the work ethic i mean it's just like yes you know you look you look at that discography and it's every year and sometimes you know a couple or three things in a year but i have to ask um, and maybe it's because as I'm looking behind you and we're talking uh, here and I see all those like looks like files. It's like I'm having this image of Steve waking up in the middle of the night and being like, there's a style I haven't done yet. I'm going to write it in my book. But how, is there styles that you haven't yet, you know, explored that you're like, I really want to go there someday or, you know, um, it's a funny thing. Um, it's a it's a it's a strange industry. You never really qualify in it, do you? Um, I should know a lot more about jazz and and, uh, and i don't but sometimes you stray into jazz um without even trying and, and i I've, I've worked with jazzers um it is it is a different language um i think that you start out with one idea in music and then with any luck you lose all your prejudice against all the things that you were not interested in when you were a kid and you come to appreciate the beauty of every instrument which has its place. Uh, there's no such thing as a useless instrument, it seems to me. I'd, um, I'd like you to record that, what you just said a little bit ago for my kids, so I can play that for them, <laughs> if you don't mind. Yeah, Getting right. done here, just a separate track. <laughs> and I can play yeah, it no, 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 no. Well, you see, you, you want to fly the flag for, for whatever is in your heart when you're first on fire with it and of course uh, there aren't too many kids that are going to get fired up about the humble triangle but true triangle has its place and um it's in there and and uh you might listen to some tchaikovsky and and you realize the timpani is doing a role and on top the triangle is doing the same thing for extra brightness you know in a particularly um exuberant moment of a feeling of, of a triumph and so it's from from bottom to top yeah in the in the right. world um uh and that's an extraordinary well your music certainly doesn't lack that dynamic or that range I, again I, I can't say enough about the arrangements are un unbelievably beautiful well, well thank you i've heard a lot of people speak about the, their hit songs that came to them between breakfast and lunch 
and yeah. and, and it just seemed to you know, just flow through them and, and arrive unexpectedly. But then I've also heard the same composer say it took three months to find the final version of the song. Do you find any of your stuff comes to you extraordinarily quickly? And um, I don't think I've had quite the the McCartney moment with yesterday. You know, where he dreams <laughs> the whole song and. Um, um, wakes up the next day and says, uh, I think someone else wrote this, um, plays it to a number of people, and they all say, no, can't figure out the composer. But but that is is, is an ex- an extraordinary gift when it happens. And sometimes I have dreamt melodies. Have you? Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, it doesn't happen very often, but when it does, uh, you, you, you sit back and go, well, no one's done that, but what a beautiful song. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Or, or be- beautiful moment. Um, Aren't you lucky you retained it? Because sometimes right. we do that. We wake up and go, shit, what was that? And you can't, yes. you can't quite. <laughs> I, I've, I've had that too. And, and, and for the first few times it happened, I wasn't able to remember exactly what it was, much to my frustration. And then I started to be able to remember what it was. And I think I was uh, very keen to write it down immediately, just in case. Um, uh, I couldn't. Rem- I, I don't trust in memory. Mm. Memory is extremely fallible. Now, I, I used to write in the early days with Genesis. Um, I would just remember a melody. In fact, I used to think this is a, a way of, of um, assessing whether it's good or not, whether mm. I remember it. Yeah. Um, but no, not 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 now. I think not with voice memo on our phones. That's saved me many times. Just put it on there real quick. And (laughs) I think it's a product too, of the more you do what you do that, that lovely album by Paul McCartney was so self-effacingly titled memory, almost full. If you are as prolific as Paul or you are, and you've been doing this for so long, how on earth could you possibly expect? I I even marvel at, at singers on stage, remembering lyrics when they do a three hour show. I mean, yeah, not many do. Most of them have a teleprompter these days. <laughs> well, I think uh, uh, somebody told me that um, uh, if you could remember the first the first line of each verse, yep. you had a very good chance of, of getting through. So that is a trick I have employed. I have too. Okay. Just write down. I, I've had a big piece of paper with just the first line or, you know. Yep. That's it. So we, we, we work to cues, whether they're visual or... or uh, or imagined and do you, do you sing yourself dane do you, do you do that yeah when i'm when i'm working up a new song i mean I, i've got probably 30 of mine that i can still remember everything but if it's a newer song and i maybe rewrote it a couple times and it's gone through different changes that makes it even harder to remember so yeah writing that first line down really kind of will spark you so i've done that yes. many times write it really big so i can keep it on the floor so i can see it you know Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and what about you, Hugh? Well, it's the same thing. I, I've remembered ex- ex- really complex piano pieces that I've written, you know, as far back as 1975. And I still retain those, surprisingly. I remember all the details. And and yet I could come up with a really simple song one day and a week later go, oh, shit, what was that? And, and it's, I mean, I'm just talking like a real simple, like a Neil Young piano part where you just kind of, or a McCartney piano part, where you just put down something pretty. And I, I, at least now with Pro Tools, put things down. I make a point. It's the same with lyrics. I like certain, I, I admire lyricists so much that I freeze when it comes 
time to write lyrics because I've got Joni Mitchell standing behind me and and Peter Gabriel over here and and Donald Donald Fagan right up here behind me. I <laughs> yeah. I can't get out of my own way. How, how do you do it? How do you find your your muse when it comes to words? Um, now that's a that's an interesting thing. I in, in recent years I've been writing more and more with my wife Jo. Um, ah. but I don't think there's any formula. If if I really had a formula, I could say you know sometimes music comes first, sometimes it's a lyric, mm-hmm. um, sometimes it's a rhythm. Uh, you could be led to a song by by nefarious means. You, we all of us need a portal. At what point does something stop becoming a rehearsal and and it solidifies into um, something worth framing right. in memory? Um, yeah. Um, I, d- I don't think you can teach anyone how to write a song. I think you can, you can teach um, a technique. You can, you can demonstrate mm-hmm. that. But what is it? The quantum leap that takes take it takes it out of the hands of the of the of the virtuoso who may be um terrified at the idea of coming up with anything themselves and make the console to composer how, how how does that work take away the fear i think is the main yeah thing. yeah yeah painters dread the white canvas so there might be something similar there you know just how do i dare stain that pristine white surface you know you gotta you, you gotta start making noise to at least respond to what, ah, yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Yes. And you yeah, can't, go th- I'm going to, I'm going to mess this up before you start. You have to be able to hop right into it or you're, it's not going to happen. You know, it's like jamming every once in a while. You'll, you'll think you're starting a jam off with something cool until the whole band looks at you and says, don't call us. We'll call you. You know, it's just like L- listening to you guys talk and, and uh, it's fascinating and, uh, and it's making me think. And the question that I have for you, Steve, yeah. is dialing back and you've alluded to it a little bit with some bits and pieces here, but dialing back to those early 70s with with Genesis and making all those great records during those years. You know, when you look at the members of the band during that time with all of you guys, it's just mind-blowing when you see it now and it makes me think can you walk us through that process during those years like what was the dynamic create the creativity like and just the overall experience because the music's incredible and timeless and so influential but can you kind of take us back to that time and how you guys you know what the process was the creativity process all the all that stuff well um genesis when i i first joined them uh, peter gabriel said to me um we think of ourselves as a, as a team of songwriters and um, they wanted someone who could write as well as play. Um, my writing was really all in aspira. It was all aspirational. Um, even though I'd advertised myself as a writer, it's a bit like saying, you know, I'm a, I'm a top chef and I hadn't even yet cooked a meal, but I just knew <laughs> what I wanted to do. So I really bluffed my way as, as regards that. And I very quickly discovered that um, many of the guys were very accomplished songwriters in their own right. So initially, I just contributed um, uh, guitar parts mm-hmm. to things. I started to bring in tunes, and we, um, we kicked them around. Like a game of football, we just tried, um, you know, um, kicking things about, uh, passing the the ball from one to the other, or like like a relay race where there's a baton, and um, 
one guy runs with it for a while, another guy picks up and, um, and, and, and carries on forward. Well, on that, on that note, on the live side of, of your career, can you take us back to what was the first, like some of the first concerts you went to, um, maybe growing up as a fan? Um, oh, I, well, I was very lucky to see um, quite a lot of gigs by John Mayle. Mm. John Mayle had the young Peter Green playing oh, yeah. uh, with him just after Eric Clapton had left the band. Um, and so I saw several of those gigs. Um, I was very interested in blues stuff where all of the sonic developments that were happening in the electric guitar were around, around the world of blues. Um, so um, that was all seminal stuff. Um, I saw Cream in the very early days. Awesome. In, in their first year of, of, of incarnation, and um, they made a powerful noise for, for a three-piece. Uh, no passengers <laughs> in that band. Um, so mainly, mainly blues shows. Um, um, at the same time, I was listening to classical music, and, and I thought that these two things are not going to come together, blues and baroque. And then I saw King Crimson in 1969, which I think was the, the big one in a way, um, uh, with the blueprint for so much of what was to follow. No question. Yeah. No doubt. A band that was mixing jazz with classical music, or with pop music and rock. And 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 humor and um, the legacy of the Beatles were informing these uh, virtuosic young guys, um, and um, I I got to befriend most of them and um, you know spend time and um, uh, they were doing exactly what I wanted to be able to do in future. In other words, to mix it all up where. Uh, the challenge is almost to come up with a new genre every song. If you could do that, wouldn't that just be wonderful? So uh, these collisions and hybrids and whatever you call them. That's why I said when I when I listened to the the, the Night Siren. I mean, you got you got Dwayne Eddy on one song, as far as I'm concerned, in, in uh, yes. fifty miles, you know, and yes and and you've got you know you've got like the duke all the different styles are i i can't say it enough are extraordinarily diverse that's the key and your your palette is massive i've got a specific question uh steve if i may looking back on the genesis stuff i thought after peter left uh, was the first record after that was trick of the tail was it not uh, yes a uh, trick of the tail first one as a four piece without without peter gabriel yeah well this the first tune on there dance on a volcano is yeah. one of the got to be one of the most difficult prog things that if if you had to learn that for a band that might take you a week. I was just, I mean, there's so it's like that, that noty stuff at the end. That's real kind of furious. And then seven. And then I'm not even sure what you guys go into after that. I quit counting. I thought, well, I'm not going to record this song. So I'm not going to try to, I don't have it. I don't have a couple of days to figure out what you tried to do. But right. my question is how long did it take you guys to get that song recorded? What was the process on that? I mean, do you, do you have recollection of that? I just find that that song's amazing. As far as I remember, I'd just done a solo album and then I started working with the band uh, with that straight afterwards. So it was like trying to give birth twice. So it was <laughs> a little bit tricky for me at that time. Um, and um, we were writing in 7-8. It was a favorite, it was a favorite um, time signature for us. Um, it's a rhythm much beloved of 
not just early Genesis, but also um, many years later, I got to work with Chris Squire, who said he really loved Seven as a as a uh, writing tool in a way. Um, that I don't think it took us that long because there are a lot of repeats. It's the end section where it goes fast and furious, yes. which was my main input into the into the um, in, into the tune, and I still play that quite a lot with my band these days. Awesome. I was talking to um, Jason Bonham, um, John Bonham's son, who was saying that that song was a, a big influence for him. It's it's strange because it's slow and heavy, but it's in seven. It's got the truncated thing. Phil used to say it's as if someone's typing and, and going, by the time you get to seven, pachung, uh, with the thing, and so it keeps truncating the end of the bar. So it's as if it's like this kind of catapult that's informing the thing. Um, the uh, the early opening stuff is really uh, Mike Rutherford writing with a twelve string and with bass pedals. He newly acquired the Taurus bass pedals. Okay, well, fabulous cut, man. It, you guys made it. You. you yeah, you made like the most difficult song in the world sound like it was you just tossed it off like you were playing, you know, an easy rock tune. I mean, it's well, uh, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think the uh, the last bit, which I was largely responsible for, um, is actually the most difficult thing to play because you've got to be on, on your metal with that. It's no it's, question. Uh, <laughs> Gosh. It's it's so damn fast. And I even played it with an orchestra a couple of years back live. I, I've done it once or twice with orchestras, different orchestras. and um, Could they hang with you? Yeah, strangely enough. I think they were all terrified, first of all. I bet they were. <laughs> because um, they looked at this stuff, and there's so many notes on the page, and and if only some of them get anywhere near it, you're winning. Right. Um, but, I, but I think that, you know, that might also be the case as, as, um, as Roger King, you know, my cohort says, you know, with the Stravinsky stuff, um, he said, what you've got to realize is that orchestras, they're not going to be able to get this right. There might be orchestral players who could be listening to this and bristling at that challenge, but I'm just telling you what I've heard, that um, try and get it as close as you can. So it's aspirational playing. Well, I think. perfection is the enemy of, of good, so <laughs> there's something to be said for that. Yeah, Um I don't know if we ever ever reach perfection. You just try and yeah, that's what keeps us going, right? Yeah, I think so. And and um, I'm lucky enough to grow up listening to the Beatles um, and thinking that um, the plague in the main is 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 not technically difficult, but it's beautifully imperfect. I I, I agree. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your forthcoming acoustic uh, album sure that you're thing. working on now? Um, I've just done an album. Um, recorded at home called Under a Mediterranean Sky. And it's basically acoustic orchestral. Um, there are players on it, but um, they were working in the main remotely, uh, giving their performances and sending them in. Um, it's really, um, I, I used this word landscaping earlier, um, the idea of doing something that's typically Spanish, typically French, um, to take in Greece, so many areas around the Mediterranean, the known world for the ancients, really. Um, 
and at times to be able to be able to change the style of music so you might realize that you're in spain with a track called andalusian heart mm -hmm. for instance which is really you know the area of andalusia has the alhambra palace it also has the sacramento where the gypsies live and play and dance in the ca in the caves um and the moors are part of that too right exactly the moorish influence yeah. all of that so all things andalusian um that conjure um the gypsy magic of uh, of spain I i've tried to capture some of that in a in a kind of rodrigo-like style concerto de Herringwes, um to do a kind of mini version of that of course that piece originally Aaronwes was made popular by Miles Davis who, who rediscovered it. I believe it was written in the 1920s and mm. when Miles Davis recorded it I think in the 1950s or early 60s Sketches um, of Spain Sketches of Spain yeah. that's it great um, great record he was the one who, who who popularized this piece of music that might have been passed over so there you are you know an American jazz man um uh giving it his his take on something and unearthing something which has been hailed as a as a as a, as a masterpiece no question mm -hmm. uh, my father was a big fan of manitas de plata um yeah where did you draw from for that well you know i think that every guitarist i've ever watched has become my teacher if they've been doing something that was interesting like for instance when i was in quebec one day I saw a guy playing in the in the open air, a busker, doing this move, and I thought, "Ah, oh, that's how that one's done." You know, that's interesting. Arpeggiating with with all the fingers to get a chord, and then um, on uh, on the return from top to bottom, he was just using one finger to bring it right back, the, the forefinger, uh, yeah. and uh, yeah. ah, that's how you get that cyclic thing. You know. The, the equivalent of cyclic breathing that, that, that Woodwind and Brassman uh, can do. Roland Kirk, yeah. Roland Kirk, yeah. yeah. Rob Townsend, the guy I work with uh, who plays uh, sax and, and, and flute, showed me how that was possible on, on sax, and he really did it. And wow. his throat's filling up and his mouth's doing one thing, and it's... Um, that's incredible. It's just incredible to watch that that's actually he's keeping up the pressure with the cheeks but he's inhaling wow i looked at his credits on your project and he's he's the one that plays to duke too i would have guessed you'd brought some someone in from the middle east but well no funny enough he he learned to duke um but on the on the on the current album they, they want the um under mediterranean sky mm -hmm. uh there was a guy from armenia it's it's an armenian instrument and there was an armenian guy who got in touch with me when i was due to play paris we were due to hook up. It didn't quite work out, but we stayed in touch. And I heard him his playing, and I thought this sounds great. So he's on, he's on one of the tracks. I said it to him, and he said it back. He's now back in Armenia. On the same track, there's a guy playing the tar, which I'd recorded a couple of years ago when I was in in uh, Hungary in Budapest, and they're both playing on the same track called. Um, Oh, the dervish and the gin, the whirling dancer, mm -hmm. and those two regions are at war with each other right now. In the Nagorno-Karabakh region, there's been great fighting there, a lot of people killed, and the Armenians are moving out of a territory which um, has now been returned to Azerbaijan. Um, but you know, politics seems to divide, and music 
um, seems to be able to create situations where people come together. So that's a, that's that could be a wonderful. Uh, I got that when I watched your video for Behind the Smoke. Uh, I, I got a, a good feeling about that same thing. I mean, that that had beauty and anguish and melancholy. And Thank you. I've got one last thing to say quickly, Steve, as I think sure it's, it's a wonderful thing that you that on your web page that you're selling merchandise for the guys that are in your crew that it can't work right now. That's fantastic, That's man. That's right. God bless you. And, and, and I, I, I would in, encourage people who have bands, you know, to do that. I think it's a very worthwhile thing. So Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're selling masks um, for the pandemic. Which are very cool, by the way. They're cool. Yeah, well, thank you. And there's been T-shirts and there's been handwritten lyrics, which every one of them I did individually and there's other ideas coming up but i think that's a really a great idea it's um, nice of you to do for them very nice yeah yeah i know it's it's such a pleasure to be able to do that so and, and it's been wonderful talking to you guys and i have to go and do uh, something else right now so well thank you so much for joining us today steve we okay. appreciate it the thank best you, wishes all the best thank you thanks steve thank you all the best guys thank you so much thank you cheers insurance oh that new doctor is dropped at gorgeous oh, please he's just another rv league educated surgeon with good hair no he's different nurses we got a classy motorhome with a detached driver's side mirror meet me in the or stat right away doctor. no 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 she's on break i'll handle this one. Oh, you conniving little when your rv really needs saving progressive has you covered see if you could save with a leader in rv insurance progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates covered subject to policy terms It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.